Hello and welcome along to G'day GEA, brought to you in association with O'Neill's International Sportswear, the choice of champions. Please visit O'Neill's.com for all the latest offers. I'm delighted to be joined this evening here at St Kilda West, in the beautiful home of John Heathill, otherwise known as Giggles. Thanks for having me, Giggles. No worries, Liam. I'm a bit more sober today than I was at the last podcast. Yeah, thank God. We got a lot of, a lot of feedback <laughs> on your, uh, your state last week. But look, you didn't say anything out of line. Which you've done previously when you've had drink involved on the well, podcast. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be uh, slagging Joe, Ca- Joe Cooney to his face now. In fairness, so only if I had six cans of strong boy in me, but no, cup of gi- lemon and ginger tea tonight. Yeah, we missed out with Joe Cooney. We should have got him on. We weren't organised enough there. Mm-mm. He would have come on, I reckon. Yeah, anyway, Mike came down, but he's out hopefully later in the year. Um, we have no Shawnee tonight. He's attempting a CrossFit world record attempt. So best of luck, Shawnee, in the workout of the day. Uh, I think he's benching four people. Me. If the bar ain't bending, you're just pretending. That's what his motto is. So he's <laughs> flying it, yeah. Good man, Charlie. Um, yeah, we just had a lovely steak and broccoli and was asparagus cookies, was it? No, just double broccoli. Double broccoli, yeah. I didn't even know. Sorry, no carbs. <laughs> just after training there, so that was lovely. Thanks for that, Giggles. Uh, we have a couple of tweets in from our last episode, which was live at the sevens. We First off, we had a tweet in from Louise Kelly. Uh, great to hear Brian Dean back in the pod mic at an AGA nice rundown of the Young Ireland 7s win and their 50 year celebrations even uh, Sydney gets a nice shout out thanks for getting in touch Louise also got a tweet from Enda Kearns uh, great listen folks and he also gave us a retweet thanks very much for that keep the tweets coming into at AGA emails get AGA at gmail.com alright coming up on today's show we got a good show for you guys we're going to have a look at the National Hurler League first about what relevance does the league even have these days? Who's playing well? Who's playing not? What does it actually mean for the year ahead? We we'll also have a very special Giggles Corner, which Giggles hasn't told me what it is yet, so I'm looking forward to hearing that. And then thirdly, we're going to do a preview of a big weekend in the GA calendar here in Melbourne. Um, it's St. Patrick's weekend, as you know. There's a fantastic event called Ireland Comes to Bayside, where there's going to be a hurling match and two international rules games on Saturday here in Melbourne, so we're going to have a little chat about that as well, so looking forward to that. All right, coming up first, we're going to talk about the National Hurling League. In one single moment, your whole life can turn round. I stand there for a minute, staring straight into the ground. Things were just going through my head, you know, and because, like, you know, I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love John Dry your eyes, mate. I know it's hard to take, but her mind is Alright Giggles, National Hurling League I tuned in for Kilkenny Wexford on Sunday Started the match slow Like I was just like, oh my god We have it so handy over here in the conditions we played It looked absolutely horrible Such a slog Lads couldn't rise the ball like, there's no one jobs in hurling this time of year at the moment in Ireland, yeah, is there? I'd pick the 35 degrees seven aside rather than playing in the in in that cold c- conditions with wet fields. It's it's just it's not enjoyable to watch actually because the teams are so focused on maintaining possession and not and getting that killer pass, which seems to kind of slow the game down. And a lot of the games that we've watched, in particular the four this weekend, just looked like they were a bit laboured before that last ball went in. Certainly, uh, Wexford and Kilkenny was the same, and then. You've also got this scenario in in any game where there's a massive wind that it, it does ruin the game because it's it's the virtual game of two halves, but 
the team playing against the wind just has no hope. And I think the highlight was Fergal Flannery's puck out uh, against Watford when he gave it everything and the ball landed inside his own 45. So it happened with Kenny Wexford as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It was like young lads buckling out the ball. The, the best of the best and they can't hit a 40 yards because the wind was so bad. So a team doesn't have any chance. So I think it was probably every single team that played against the wind in the first half managed to kind of hold it and contain it and then got the bit of momentum in the second half seemed to win the game. I'd nearly be right in saying that, would I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Kilkenny were winning the half time. Wexford came back. A lot of fist pumping down at Wexford Park for the Wexford players. Very early for fist pumping in March is my, my view of the world. Yeah. Uh, Kilkenny were definitely outfought. Um, by Wexford physically and also just converted more scores but it's like where do you think teams are acting if we were to start with Kilkenny yeah it's it's so hard to say because at least last year you had the threat of relegation you had the unknown of how tough the Munster Leinster League was so every single one of the top eight teams let's just say from at the moment probably top of the division one is Limerick all the way down to who finished eighth pretty much was Gal or ninth was Galway the top nine teams uh, they, they treated this league a lot differently than they treated last league everyone wanted to, if you were in 1B you wanted to get promoted if you were in 1A you wanted to avoid relegation and get to a quarter final whereas this year it was just okay if we don't get to a quarter final there's no issue we've got a major league coming our way from the start of May so it's I, I feel it's just this year in particular last year I thought it was very relevant and you could see the form of some of the league teams come through like Limerick was the classic example where they were still an unknown at this time last year they beat Clare in the quarterfinal in a 65 competition and they got tipped to a 65 competition but lost it but you could kind of see the kind of the start of something big there whereas you look around all the teams from 1 to 9 at the moment and, and you kind of have to discount anyone from Leash down you just you can make a case for anyone and you can make a case against anyone. That's that's the problem with it. Yeah, and it's very interesting as well. Tipperary had went off to Alicante, went off for a five-day uh, training camp, supposedly training three times a day over there, warm weather training, came back absolutely blitz cork. Yeah. But it's often opposite, you know, you come back, you're tired, your he- legs are heavy after a tough camp. Absolutely yeah. flying it. Like, it's it's really weird and they struggled against Kilkenny in Turles and they made absolute ribbons of cork. It's yeah. So I've that down here, like the tip forwards versus the 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 cork fickleness, I suppose as you call it. Like t- the Tipperary forwards are the best hurling forward unit uh, in in the game. Where they may fall down is the speed uh, and maybe sometimes the fight. But if you allow the tip forward line as much space as Cork did, you're going to concede twenty nine thirty points because they can put the ball over the bar from anywhere. All all six or ten of them, whoever many come on, and their midfielders. So. If you, if you watch the highlights of that Cork game, there was acres of space for every Tipperary forward. There was no meaningful challenges going in or two or three men coming on. Whereas the week before, Kilkenny and Tip, given the nature of the game, the Kilkenny guys were majorly up for it and they fought tooth and nail for every ball. And I think it was a, a very low scoring very game. Very low scoring game, yeah. yeah. And where do you think Giggles, like hurling is at in general? Because it's interesting from watching the Tip-Cork game, watching Limerick against Kilkenny a couple of weeks ago as well, that Tip and Limerick at full pelt are playing like a running game yeah. you know there's overlaps everywhere Yeah, like it's completely different it's a like Limerick obviously have been building on that for the last couple of years and now they've delivered an Ireland final but they're just playing at a level I think above everyone else you've alluded to Tipperary they're, they're moving of their forwards it's something similar once they get going from number 8, 9 up the field but it's just amazing to watch when it's in full flow like Tipperary looked so good on the TV yeah. at the weekend 
and they were probably the only team that looked so good because they moved the ball quicker but they were allowed to move it quicker and I guess I saw Galway do this I saw Waterford do it I definitely saw Limerick do it I saw Wexford do it it's where you play four passes along your own half back line waiting for the perfect ball whether the perfect ball is into the two man full forward line where they've created the space or whether and there was an example of Paddy Foley or not Paddy Foley the other guy the place playing sweeper at the moment Oh, his name is Gani, the yellow helmet. He just burst forward into space and the fourth pass was to him and he got the score on the overlap. So it's it's very slow build-up at the moment. Now, the pitches could be leading to that where the inside forwards aren't getting enough time. But yeah, it's, it's, it's none of the hurling matches so far in the league have really delivered high scores, possibly down to conditions and the pitch, and then possibly down to maybe the slow build-up where the focus is so on possession uh, you're kind of throwing away the kind of old school get it into the danger zone kind of mentality and I don't think until the ground hardens up we, we're going to know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing Yeah I think this year with the league starting earlier than before and obviously last year we had so many games cancelled in the league because we had the snow all last year as well I think it is really hard to see where teams are at because the ground is so heavy you could even see it on, on Saturday or on Sunday in down at Wexford Park like you could see <laughs> on the telly the water coming back up off their boots when they were running yeah. Like it was at nearly shoulder height. Yeah. Like and even though the ground looked good from the TV, yeah. But like the ground was so so heavy, and guys couldn't pick balls. Like oh, it is. I, I the last time I was at home was around this time last year. And Lismore. I was probably a month later, but they had a worse winter last year. And Lismore were playing the first round of the club championship against Passage, and I remember going down to it and thinking, who would be a corner forward in that? Like the two, the two Lismore corner forwards were in belting their hands after off their backs trying to keep warm pitch was like the minute the ball hit the ground it just stuck and it's a totally different game to when you're playing in May, June, July and August um, so get back to your question Liam in terms of the relevance I think all of the teams will be in some way happy and in some way looking for improvement from it they're all trying to build their their squads for the Munster and Leinster League at the moment and we might see glimpses now as we hit to the league quarterfinal stages. I think in particular from Wexford, I think Davy Fitzgerald is going to say, right, with all the teams now kind of not looking to hit this league so hard, we've got an opportunity to get some silverware. I'm in year three of my stint here. Leinster's going to be tough. The All-Ireland's going to be tough. This could be a great chance to get a rung on the board for a National League title, which isn't to be sniffed at. No, definitely not. And I actually th- I actually was very impressed at Wexford at the weekend, aside from the fist pumping. <coughs> I, I actually <laughs> thought they played quite well. Yeah. Uh, they, threw, they threw the ball around well. And what I was most impressed with was, I know you were, the wind was very strong, but they had multiple scorers. Yeah. You know, Kenny really are struggling at the moment for, for firepower for people to convert. Whereas they all six forwards weighed in with scores yeah. and from midfield up as well, you know. Yeah. And if you have that, it makes a huge difference. You're not reliant on any one person. Even there was an overlines probably on Conor McDonald there a few years ago. He didn't even really figure in the game at the weekend. Yeah, you know what I mean? I feel sorry for Conor McDonald because his whole game is that fast ball in. And when you saw him at under 21 level, when he was taking defences to the cleaners, he was in an orthodox forward line, full forward ball was played in low high whatever way you wanted and he was scoring whereas now he's in there probably one versus two doing the Morris Shanahan job from two years ago and it's just so tough and such a slog whereas, but on the flip side yeah as you said they've got Lee Chin they've got the two O'Connors they've Lee Moog McGovern back from injury they have McDonald, they've Paul Morris they have scores and then they've a half back time with O'Keefe and Foley who love to come forward and score too so so if you were to pick your top three, three teams in the country at the ball who would you go for? Oh Jesus that's a, that's a hard question um, 
Surely Limerick, Limerick, are, Limerick are in the top three at the moment on, on their form, absolutely. Although I, I kind of definitely saw where Jackie Tyrrell was coming from in his comments. I think Galway Very did controversial a, article. Galway did it two years ago, they were unbeatable. Or last year they were unbeatable and then they ran out of steam. Tip two years ago, unbeatable and then ran out of steam. So we're just wondering, will Limerick do it? But Limerick's age profile is a lot younger than those two teams. Limerick um, are definitely there. I think Clare are kind of Clare probably should have been top of the table realistically the last two games they definitely should have won against Cork and against Tipperary I think it was uh, they beat Kilkenny quite easily even though the scoreline didn't reflect that and they've been playing quite well they've, they got the draw with Limerick they're in and they're in and around it if they can get their best team on the field uh, so I put Clare up there with Limerick and after that I, I swear to you, I, I can't pick it like Tip had a great game but the week before everyone was saying Tipper gone and Liam Sheedy's in trouble so it's, it's very hard to say I think Galway are just tipping along they've never put out their strongest team yet they've got the St. Thomas's lads to come back Kilkenny if that was Kilkenny's first team and Ballyhale weren't there you'd be saying Kilkenny are in real trouble the fact that they've Colin Finley TJ to come back in is going to be a massive boost and you'll wonder are some of these light guys, the Cody's, uh, the Mullins, are they going to get a shot with Kilkenny? Mullins will definitely be in, yeah. Will he? He will, yeah. yeah. Will definitely yeah. Be in. They have to, they have a choice, I don't think. Yeah. So, and, and some of the Kilkenny players are interesting. Like Richie Lahey is probably the one man who his name keeps coming to the top of the list, yet he can't nail down a starting position for some reason. And there, there must be something to that. Because anytime he comes on, he scores four points. Anytime he starts, he gets taken off. It's not a great kind of a thing for Richie to be kind of having associated with him, albeit he's still a young guy. Um... And then, look, there's, there's loads of things. Like, Dublin finished top of 1B at the end of the day. They beat Waterford. They got a draw against... No, they lost to Galway. Waterford had a great win at the weekend, albeit they've played without Tyg de Burke and Austin Gleeson and a few... Dara Fies and a few other players for the whole league. So it's hard to know where they're at as well. Um, but outside outside of Limerick and Clare, I don't see anyone putting their hands up. If I was to pick, had to pick a third one right now, I'd put Wexford in there. Wexford, OK. Which is it's a real 90s hurling again. Limerick, Clare and Wexford. Well, I think that bit does allude to the excitement, though, of... I know there's, there's different uh, criticisms of the round-robin in Munster Leinster, but it is going to be very exciting, given that there is probably a fairly level playing field across both uh, provinces this year. Very competitive games ahead. But we should not We should also touch on uh, Carlo's win over Offaly at the weekend. A massive day for Carlo Hurland. Probably one of the darkest days for, for Offaly. Yeah, Um yeah, look, they're two even teams. This is called a spade a spade. They played the week before and Offaly won 4-8 to 1-10. So 4-8, what's that, 12 scores to, to 11 scores. So there's not much in it. Again, it was a game of two halves. Offaly went ahead, probably should have been ahead further. Shane Dooley had a great chance for a goal, blazed it over the bar, and they ended up losing by a point. Not blaming Shane Dooley, but you know they're the margins that are between Offaly and Carlo at the moment. And I think... Offaly are just a team on the real slide at the moment and, and Carlo are a team on the up and I think that may have been the tipping balance uh, in, in that game that the belief that Carlo had in themselves just got them over the line But so it, it is great to see though for Carlo like you know like they've been knocking on the door underage for a while to see him come through now and be winning games like that against Offaly like where you know they wouldn't have even had a hope a few years ago oh. so it is it is really exciting and it'll be interesting to see how they go in, in Leinster in, in the round robin as well and so, if you correct me, Leash are in the Joe McDonough as well, or Leash in Leinster? No. Leash are in Leinster? No, Carlo or Leinster. Carlo, so Offaly and Leash are in the Joe McDonough. Yeah. And Westmead. Correct. Yeah. And like, realistically, at the moment, right, if the 90s and the 80s don't count for anything right now. At the moment, Leash and Offaly and Westmead are all in a competition in the Joe McDonough where they're competitive against each other. Correct. And, and that's, that's where it's at. And 
like we go back to the why should all the hurling teams be up in, in the one if you ask Preston North End would they like to be in the Premiership of course they'd love to be there but they can't be because they haven't got up there and they're not quality enough yet so the fact that that'll be a very interesting competition to join McDonough Cup um, and I think those three teams will be the three teams along with Antrim who'll probably fight for that yeah, yeah. Kerry probably as well Kerry, yeah. yeah well look we'll leave the National Hurling League there for the moment <coughs> um, it will be looking forward to the quarterfinals it does always get good when it gets into the knockout we ended up having a very good knockout league last year so I'll be interested to see yeah. and there's great coverage obviously this time of year on TG Carter we get it here on GA Go which is excellent we had all three hurling matches on GA Go this weekend, at this weekend which was amazing really. four of them Leash and Limerick four of them as well Leash and Limerick as well and we also did the, the league highlights programme on the Monday on GA Go which is deferred interestingly until the Monday night here in Australia I don't I think, get that I think that's because they want people to watch the matches to get their viewership up on the matches themselves oh, okay. or maybe buy the matches because you have to buy them individually for a tenner if you don't have the year package but you only get the highlights show if you have, if you have the, the, yeah. the year package so it must be just to get the viewership yeah, up yeah interesting there you go bit of insight there from Giggles yeah. but I, I, the, one, the one two things I just want to talk about before we jump yeah. off sorry Liam <clears throat> Joe Canning's the goal that Con Canning got like Joe Canning got the ball on the 65 yard line in the snow and he bet six wards for defenders before he gave an unbelievable pass off to Kuncanon, who's stuck in the top corner. It's nearly a contender for goal of the year already. Like, wow, in fairness to him. And that's what he can do. And he's done that so many times from a standing position, generate so much power and go past so many players. And the, the other thing I wanted to point out was Shane Bennett's Silent. cleverness and cuteness. Now, everyone's kind of saying to, to him, like, they won't get away with that again. But there's, there's a lot of things you could do that in, like, I, I guess... If you're playing against the wind and you've got a penalty, you could just do a little tip of a penalty and have a lad running from behind and, and run in and bury it. For the listeners who don't <coughs> know, Giggles, talk him through what he did with his sideline. Oh, he just, he played petulant and said, as if to say to Jamie Barron, oh, Jamie, you take it, but he just barely touched it with the hurley. Touched it around half a foot. If, if even half a foot. So then uh, Mannion sold, was sold left, right, and center, Carl Mannion. Ran after Shane Bennett, who was jogging into the corner. Jamie Barron then came along with no one on him, picked up the ball because it was in play and drove it over the bar from 40 yards. So it was kind of a, a very uh, cleverly executed um, piece of skill. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see it. Great to see it this time of year as well. Yeah. Uh, but there was an incident, I think it was Robert Perez and Thierry Henry did it for a penalty in soccer <laughs> a few years ago. It didn't work yeah, out yeah. too well. So the boys, the Warford boys delivered in spades at the weekend. Yeah. All right, we'll wait, leave it there. So, Giggles for National League. Thanks for that. And coming up next, we have a very special Giggles corner. I want to hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love game intuition, play the cards with spades to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his Guy Henry still up to a penalty toughest penalty he was ever going to face in his life you know everything riding on it he just buried it you know and, and was it a penalty Brian do you think well Dermot Kerwin certainly gave a penalty I mean I, I if you want to start wondering about all of the frees in the course of the game you'll have a fairly fairly busy time did you think yourself as a penalty Marty well I, I wasn't too sure but it, it just seemed a little bit dodgy in, in the replay I have no idea Marty did you check all the other frees as well to see where they dodgy <laughs> also maybe you should maybe you should in, in terms of the referee, did you, were you pleased overall? I'm sure you are now, considering you've won the All-Ireland, but did you think he allowed a lot to go? Oh, Marty, please, give me a break. With, uh, the referee, uh, referee, we're supposed to say nothing about referees. I make a habit of saying absolutely nothing about referees. During McCurman, I was, I'm certain in my head, was going out to be the very, very, very best he possibly could be. You seem to have had a problem with him, you tell me. Can't read my, can't read my, no, we can't read my, oh, 
Giggles Curl. We haven't had one in whoa, a couple of episodes. It's worth noting as well today, Giggles. This is our 40th episode. Kind of a milestone episode. Yeah. Rod Tracks reached to 50 this year. The statistic is out there for podcasts that start up, they don't get past 10. Okay, and we've got 40. We've got 40. We've got a bit it. of credit in the bag. We're flying it. <laughs> right, what do you have for us today, Giggles? What I have today, I'm going to start it off with a question first, Liam. I'm going to ask you a question now. It's not a quiz, right? And I don't expect you to know the answer, but if you do, fair play to you. How many counties have won an All-Ireland Hurling title with an outside manager? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll guess, I'll say five. Would you believe only one county has ever in the history of the GA won an All-Ireland with an outside manager? Oh. And so what, what, I'm, what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to go through, I think it's been topical with a number of things, with Carlo Rising, with Davy Fitzgerald in the, in the news, with Offaly's um, decline. I, I kind of, and I'm actually reading Anthony Daly's book at the moment, and Jesus, he nearly references more about Dublin than he does about Clare, which kind of says about a lot about his time. So I've done the top 10 outside managers that have played for intercounty, uh, at an intercounty level. Beautiful. And graded them. Now, to answer the question I just asked you, Offaly are the only county in the history of the GA to win an All-Ireland Hurling title with an outside manager. Three different times. So, the first time Offaly ever won an All-Ireland was in 1982. And they were trained that year by a guy called Dermot Healy, who was a teacher in St. Kieran's College, a Kilkenny man. And he's credited, there's actually, and there's a, the Lake Regale series goes through the Offaly Hurley, the, the, the Nokadi or whatever they call it. Um, and there's a whole program on Dermot Healy that's brilliant. And he trained him also in 1985 when they won their second All-Ireland. So Dermot Healy is top of my list on the sole fact that he brought Offaly from nowhere and he's won two All-Ireland titles with, with Offaly. There you go, that's an interesting fact. I didn't yeah. know that. So Kilkenny man, and he bet Kilkenny in two Leinster finals, was not rated in Kilkenny. There's, there's now a message there. Oh, that's Carol Walsh. We'll talk about our preview of the uh, the um, the Bayside comes to Ireland later on. I'm sure Carol's telling me what the logistics are for the matches. Okay, looking forward to that. But um, Dermot Healy at number one, the, the best outside manager that has ever refereed. Kick any man who brought Offaly to two All-Irelands. So the next two are the only other two who've won an All-Ireland. Uh, I've put Eamon Cregan at number two, the famous Limerick man who beat Limerick in the five-minute final uh, in 1994. So Eamon, obviously, is a very successful manager. He trained Mary I to win their first Fitzgibbon Cup, but he was a Limerick man that went to Offaly and won that. And then number three, I have a guy called Michael Bond from Galway, who took over from Babs when, Bab- heap. when the Sheep and the Heap comment went out. And he won in All-Ireland with Offaly in 1998. So Offaly are the only county in Ireland to win an All-Ireland with an outside manager. That's a fascinating stat. It is, and I was thinking, about, I was kind of going back in my head, I was like, there must have been somewhere, when I went through all the All-Irelands from 19, I think I went from about 1970 onwards, and there wouldn't have been any outside managers before 1970, definitely not. Yeah, they were the only only three All-Irelands, or four All-Irelands ever won with Offaly as the only county. It's interesting it was Offaly, because they've had, I suppose they've had so many outside managers, but 94, 98, 98 was a very special one for them. Kenny haven't hammered him in the Leicester final. Clare haven't beaten him twice. <laughs> yeah, bloody hell. Oh, yeah. The one dollar, I still can't believe the one dollar. Yeah. They were sick of it. Anyway. But um, they, that, they're the top three. So then I, I decided to kind of go, there's a little bit of my own opinion here and there's a bit of Not stats like behind it. <laughs> yeah. But number four, I've got Justin McCarthy. Yeah, okay. So Justin McCarthy won three Munster titles with Waterford in the National League. He also 
uh, after the motorbike accident when he was 27 years of age, went and trained Antrim when he was 27 and brought them not to great peaks, but obviously put the coaching side in them. And he also trained Limerick, probably not one of his best career moves, but there was the strike in Limerick and he had the, the yeah. B team. But definitely Justin McCarthy for what he did for Watford hurling, three Munster titles, one National League and almost getting them to the promised land. Probably 2000 or yeah, 2007 was the year that we kind of say slipped with Limerick, ambushed us in the semi-final and we would have fancied our chances against Kilkenny that year, but obviously not the year after. An interesting insight Justin McCarthy was that each player had to give them his hurl, their hurl to Justin and Justin would individually refine the hurl for the player that the way he thought it would suit them. Yeah. The weight, the balance. The weight, the balance everything. for each individual player. Yeah. Talk about fine detail. Yeah, I think I remember Dan, Chan, and Dave Bennett, the two Lismore club men who were kind of in with him in his first year, telling me about how the training changed from Gerald McCarthy, who brought the real physicality and, and fitness into Watford. Um, they went on the Atkins diet to just the first training session with Justin was an hour long on the beach, and it was absolutely wrist hurling in twos for the whole hour. And the dads went away and their wrists were in bits, but that was the type of hurling he wanted off the cuff. Cork style hurling from the, the the 80s probably and that's what he probably wanted to do so Justin McCarthy at number 4 number 5 I, I, had, I had a choice to make at number 5 between two clear men and I went with Anthony Daly um, he won a Leinster title the first one in 63 years with Dublin and he won a National League title for the first time uh, in a number of years as well with Dublin and should have got to the Earl of Finland if Ryan O'Dwyer getting sent off if Ryan O'Dwyer didn't get sent off or if Gary Maguire had a little bit of a better control in the goal and Patrick Horgan didn't come in for the flick, they definitely would have got to an All-Ireland. Yeah. And if you read Anthony Daly's book, he was he was really relishing the whole Dublin versus Clare potentially in an All-Ireland final, uh, which would have been massive. I think the whole country was looking for it at that stage, but Cork pipped him to it. But I've put Anthony Daly in at number five. He's also done a lot of work at underage with Limerick, but mainly on the, on the Dublin job. Just to note, actually, I where a manager has trained his own county and an outside county. I haven't counted any of the statistics from the home county. That's, that fair a fair, that's a fair rule, Giggles. Yeah, can't argue with that. So, number six then, here comes Davy Fitz. He's only the small fish. Um, he's been very successful. He won a Munster title with Watford. He won a, a, He got them to an, an Ireland final for the first time in over 50 years. And he has brought Wexford back to the top table uh, from nowhere really Liam, like they're left in a fairly low place after Liam done, had done an okay job um, so he's done a really good job as an outside manager for 70,000 euros a year that's the figure go to rugby that's the figure well, he, he, he made the Waterford County Board broke from buying brand new slitters for every single training session he, he comes with a price but um, he definitely is a unique character he's a great character he's, you either love him or you hate him he's got two All-Ireland medals as a player one as a manager but he's he's done a, he did a great job at Watford while he was there, probably upset a lot of the older players, the Paul Flynn's, the Dan Shanahan's, etc. Because he brought a total new game plan, and probably those guys who were aging a little bit didn't really fit into that, and, and there was definitely a, a resentment there for Davy from the older old school Watford players, Ken McGrath, Dave Bennett, etc. But he brought the new bunch on, and the Kevin Moran's, etc. Who are the leaders now? He really had great time for them, and, and brought them on. Um, so that's the top six. They're probably the most familiar ones that people will be familiar with. Number seven, I went for Colin Bonner. So Colin Bonner would have been Tipperary man, won All-Irelands back in the late 80s, early 90s with Tipperary. Trained 
Ballyhill trained WIT to a couple yeah. of his gibbons. But the work he's done with Carlo, I think this is his second stint with Carlo. They've won the Christie Ring, they've won the Joe McDonough. They're now stay they're up in one B. They're now going to be competing in one division one next year. They're in the Leinster Championship from absolutely nowhere. Like you could argue that his feet could go above the kind of higher ones, but maybe the fact that it's just Carlo is, is down the list. But Colin Bonner as an outside manager coming into Carlo, uh, if you look at the trend graph, it's probably the steepest trend graph in terms of upward trajectory, but no, he's done an amazing job there. Yeah, that, yeah, and he, like you said, he has like delivered with like Sabali Hale, WIT, where he would have had star studded teams. Like people would argue, oh, anyone could train those teams, but to do it with Carlo and the structures, Carlo have been doing a lot of work at underage, and that has come true to fruition now in, at this point of time in 2019. But amazing to see those scenes like we just touched on earlier on at the weekend yeah. and in the Leicester Championship this year. It's going to be great to see. Yeah. And, and they will be competitive. They'll probably be more competitive than Offaly were last year. I reckon, yeah. yeah, yeah. I reckon. So that's number seven. I'll run through the last three. So number eight, I have John Allen, uh, the Corkman who trained Limerick to a Munster title in 2003. Many, 2013, excuse me. Uh, many people had, had Limerick down as the favourites when it got to the four, the Dublin, the Clare, the Limerick and the Cork, but they didn't kick on. But John Allen obviously won in All-Ireland with Cork as well, but as an outside manager, did a great job with Limerick that year. They broke a... They were the longest-serving Munster County without a Munster title. Yeah, there were some seeds that year yeah. they won. They were. I, w- I was at the Gaelic grounds because Watford had played Limerick in the minor final before. They had, would you believe, Shane Bennett, Stephen Bennett, Austin Gleeson, and Co. And Limerick had Keen Lynch. They had Ronan Lynch. They had all that team. So it was a great. I was actually finished in a draw after Watford being seven points up with five minutes to play. But um, the scenes in Limerick that I remember, like Niall Moran would have been a guy I played hurling with in Flannans and in in UL, and it was one of his last years. And he was lifted through the crowd as a hero, yeah. and he'd come on and scored the winning point. So, John Allen gets number eight. Number nine, this guy actually hasn't won anything as an outside manager, but I've put him in here because he probably did what Colin Bonner has done for Carlo with Watford. When I was growing up in the early 90s and late 90s, Watford couldn't buy a win. They could not win a game in the Munster Championship. And they were, they were the equivalent to nearly... I remember going to a Munster Championship in 1993 below in Austin Stack Park in Kerry and Kerry beat Watford 413 to 313 in 1993 after winning an All-Ireland 21 in 92 so Watford Hurling was in a bad place when Jordan McCarthy came in he really put the discipline on them I remember a story Ray Barry the passage goalie and Sean Daly the Lismoreful forward two of the star players dropped for drinking and playing soccer and that was the start of the kind of fitness revolution that he brought into Waterford and in 1998 you'll remember probably the semi-final I against I remember it well 112 to 111 it finished and Waterford had wide after wide after wide after wide and Kilkenny were just they were blessed I'd say Kilkenny had 13 chances and they scored 112 um, and that that was the year 90, Like so Waterford people said they might have fancied Offaly in an All-Ireland final that year that one that Offaly won so Gerald McCarthy at number 9 and I've given number 10 then the last man on the list probably more for his personality but also for his achievements recently and, and, and in Camogie and in Hurling, but to Joe Quaid, the Limerick goalie. He's an absolute character. He won, I know Limerick, Camogie isn't outside his county, but I guess it's outside his code. He won uh, Intermediate All-Ireland with Limerick. He won a Christie ring with Kildare last year. And now he's in with Westmead. He's got them promoted to Division 1 and he's they're in the mix for the Joe McDonough. So just to round out the list, I put Joe Quaid in there at number 10. Yeah, that's a good balance. Ted Giggles. Yeah, I think just a couple, a couple of honorable mentions. 
Honourable mentions, I say potentials first of all. So I think Eddie, Eddie Brennan's got massive potential. He's in leash at the moment. It's his first year doing an external job. David Herity has done the okay. Dublin Camogie job yeah. and he, he's he's looking to get involved in all that kind of stuff. So I think he's been brilliant. And then maybe three examples where it didn't go so well. Uh, Jor Cunningham in Dublin. Disaster. The players seem to just absolutely revolt against him. And yeah. It was probably the, the, the people's capital versus the real capital and, and there was a big of a clash of personalities there. Babs Keating was probably at the bottom of the list. Oh, Jesus, um, Babs, nightmare. I think Babs is just, unless you're from Tipperary and you were born in the, and you grew up in the 80s, everybody hates Babs. It's all about Babs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell yeah, you a yeah. story I know about Babs from a, a player who was on the panel probably back in 2000. And, what, when was Babs back with Tip? What year? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Uh, a Tipperary player was on the physio bed after the match he had pulled up sore and Babs came in and asked him to hop up because he was going to play golf the next day he needed to be loosened out yeah hurts too yeah <laughs> you know what I mean it was all, it was all about yeah. Babs or he, 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 he put Willie Ryan on the freeze for the first round of the Munster Championship because he'd been back to be top scorer and took on Kelly the only game on Kelly didn't take the freeze there's loads of rumours about and him and he dropped Brendan Cummins and he dropped Brendan yeah <laughs> And that's his, in his own county. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the fact that he went to Offaly and he caused havoc and he left and they won All-Ireland. And probably the only other one that didn't go so well was Mike Mack, probably the Clare selector from 95. <clears throat> went into Offaly and didn't go down well at all. It was probably the start of the demise with Offaly, really, yeah. when he went in there. He kind of tried the old-school Jarlock Nan tactics and it didn't go down too well. But um, So just just to recap the list, Dermot, he- Dermot Healy, Kilkenny Man, Offaly, two All-Irelands. Eamon Cregan, Michael Bond, Justin McCarthy, Anthony Daly, Davy Fitz, Colin Bonner, John Allen, Gerald McCarthy, and Joe Quaid. And I'd love, uh, I put it together now on the tram on the way home. So I, if I'm missing someone, I definitely could have overshot someone. would love to get feedback on that from anyone. So yeah, give us your tweets on akinaga, akinaga at gmail.com. Thanks very much for that, Giggles. That was an excellent Giggles corner. That's up there. Uh, I'm like, you know, they don't have to say, just put it together quickly on the tram, you know. That was hours and hours of work we did today, research we did today. Um, and that's a good little one for our 48 uh, episode as well. All right, coming up next, we're going to wrap up and finish up with a preview of a great festival of Gaelic games this Saturday in Melbourne. Traveling in a fight come On a hippie trail head full of zombies. I met a strange lady, she made me nervous She took me in and gave me breakfast And she said, do you come from a land down under? Where women go and men wonder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? You better run, you better take cover Big event this weekend, Giggles, and the GA calendar here in Victoria. We're having a special St. Patrick's Day celebration of Gaelic, Bay, Gaelic Games in uh, Elsterwick Park in Melbourne. It's called Bayside, or Ireland Comes to Bayside. Yeah. Uh, we're having an exhibition hurling match, a women's international rules match, and a men's international rules match. So the hurling match, Giggles, first off, is on at 12 o'clock. It's been hosted in Elsterwick Park, which is the home of the Victorian Amateur Football Association. So it's great to see Victoria GEA come together with them, and also the Irish Chamber of Commerce um, for this Festival of Gaelic Games. Are you looking forward to the hurling match on, on, uh, on Saturday? It's, it's brilliant, and I guess... St. Patrick's Day falls on a, on a weekend this weekend, so usually it's tough over here in Australia because we don't get the pad, the, the Paddy's Day bank holiday uh, 
where you can kind of go drinking on St. Patrick's Day and have the day off work the next day. But this weekend, it's a Saturday, Sunday. Most lads will take the Monday off work, even though it's not a bank holiday. And yeah, it just, it just, it just evolved where you had the two international rules games and then they were obviously looking for the, the real game, hurling, to be, to be involved course, as well. Of course, of course. And so instead of kind of having just two clubs uh, involved maybe and leaving two clubs out, we, what we've gone with is doing a kind of we were going to do an interprovincial game and the way the numbers are lying now it's going to be Munster against the rest of Ireland um, with also Jackson Johnson from Victoria playing with the rest of Ireland even though he's an Aussie yeah <laughs> but um, no it, it's good I think there's there's about 35 to 36 lads interested there's going to be 18 on each panel um, full 30, 30 minutes aside game you get to play with lads from different clubs. It's an exhibition game, and then the two hurling teams then can then sit back and enjoy and watch the ladies' uh, international rules and the men's international rules um, out in Elstonwick Park, which is going to be it's going to be a great day. And it's promised to be, I think, twenty nine degrees. Yeah, twenty nine degrees. Sunshine. Jimmy Jimmy O'Neill's is around with the food truck. There's a bar going to be there as well. It's just going to be a great celebration of, of kind of Irish Gaelic games, Irish culture inside in the Elstonwick Park. Yeah, and the great thing about it as well is we are coming together with the Victorian Amateur Football Association, uh, which is very important to share the shared cultures of Ireland and Australia with the international rules. So they're putting together a selection for both the ladies' game and the men's game. And I know there's huge excitement for the international rules. They've actually been training. Yeah. Um, specifically for the international rules because whenever about us playing an exhibition game or rocking up or playing a game or hard where you set up a play the international rules is always a bit of a challenge because it is quite a different code and quite unique um, and it's great to see this, this game happening but also on Saturday there is also going to be a kids GAA going to be in attendance and they're going to be having a, running a hurling clinic so Aussie kids can come along and Aussie families can come along and try out the game of hurling probably yeah. maybe some of them for the first time and it's really exciting because it is in an inner city location in Melbourne, Gaelic Park in, in Keysborough, where we do play our games normally, is a fantastic location and a fantastic facility, but it is around 35 minutes out of Melbourne, yeah. whereas this is right in the middle of Melbourne, which is kind of cool that we're getting to you know, showcase our games and just promote Gaelic games to the wider uh, Melbourne audience who we might not get in front of too often. And especially like you said, Giggles, Hurling is the jewel in the crowd of, uh, of the <laughs> GAA. And I know, for instance, that they actually are the most excited about the hurling match because it, how often does a hurling match get played at Elsewhere Park? Probably not for 50 or 60 years. Yeah, I, I always love the reaction of some of the Aussies when they do come out to Gaelic Park and they're at a hurling match. And you, you nearly, you, you could be in a ruck on the sideline and you'd nearly hear them and like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like they can't get over the physicality of it with a stick, yeah. really. Like, do you know, they've got AFL and they've got the NRL and the rugby and their, their big hits go in there. And then they see the hits that go in in hurling with two guys swinging what they, they believe to be nearly a weapon yeah. um, in the direction of the ball and are able to do that with kind of skill and be able to protect themselves as well. They're absolutely fascinated by the game. It is, I guess, it's in every city in Australia, whether you're in Sydney, whether you're in Brisbane, it's a location factor for the GA that you have your pitches generally 40 minutes outside the city, which doesn't lend itself to promote it for Australian people because it's a long trip out and you're just going to drive out there if you want to play your match and meet up with other Irish people. So this is a massive opportunity, um, huge opportunity for the Australians to potter on down to Elstermark Park where they'll probably spend a Sunday anyway and really kind of feel the carnival atmosphere and experience the games hurling and the two international rules games yeah and it is going to be really family friendly so it's going to be $10 in for adults kids are free there's going to be kids are going to be catered for where there's hurling clinics and kids can come along and try it out and also there's going to be plenty of food and plenty of drink going as well uh, so it's just going to be a great day 29 degrees like Eagle said uh, we're going to do a podcast live 
um, from Saturday as well down from Elswick Park so we're going to get um, people from the Victorian Amateur Football Association we're going to get them on to have a chat people from the Irish Chamber of Commerce on um, and also we hope to get some of the players playing in international rules some Australians and some Irish on and maybe some of the coaches we're going to try and do a bit of a live I'm going to bring my mic down and like halftime team talks even as they're running off for interchange get some comments on how it's going so we'll try to do something a bit different on Saturday yeah that'd be great like the two managers Patrick O'Neill is a cock man he was on here he's done a few shows with us he's managing the Munster team um, it would be interesting to see what kind of brand uh, Pa brings to the, to, to the Munster team and then the rest of Ireland team has been managed by Neil Murray from Antrim who is a coaching enthusiast and kind of heavily involved with the Sinn Féin club over here in Melbourne and he's been involved in training teams whether Sinn Féin or Victoria probably for the last eight years um, so Pa versus Neil they've, they've come up against each other on the sideline a couple of times uh, both, they've both got a few clips in and it'll be interesting to see who gets the better of who on Sunday yeah, the great uh, Saturday giggles. It's Saturday. Saturday, Saturday. Yeah, Sunday's Patrick Day. Saturday is is the festival. But also, what's going to be great fun is that I'm obviously playing for the rest of Ireland, Michael Kenny man. So I have a good chance to be caught up against giggles on, yeah. on Saturday as well. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that too as well. The rumor has it you're playing in the forwards. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind that, but hopefully I get caught off you as well at some stage. But yeah, look, it's going to be a great day. Um, anyone who's around Melbourne please come down to Elsewhere Park on Saturday, and it, we're going to do a special show as well. Get lots of different guests on, so it should be lots of fun. So I think that's it for today, Giggles. Sounds good. Yep, thanks very much for having me over. And we'll be recording the live episode on Saturday and get that out over the weekend. So today's show was brought to you in association with O'Neill's International Sportswear, the choice of champions. Please visit O'Neill's.com for all the latest offers. Have a good night, everyone. Take care.